Tonight, on the first post-pivot Flock of Seagulls, we discuss The Assignment, which answers the question, what happens to Seagull strips sk- scripts that are rejected? We'll fix it in post! This is Flock of Seagulls. Woo! Alright guys, welcome to the latest episode of Flock of Seagulls Post Seagull. With me as always is myself, Riley, and next to me is Michael. Hello! Tony. With you is yourself. I yeah. take two people with me where I go always. Myself. And Jesus. Jesus. You've been on my other podcast. Footsteps. Footsteps. That's a great uh, name though. Yeah, <laughs> And also Dan. <laughs> Hi, yes, I'm Daniel. Hi, nice to meet you, everyone. Uh, I've been here for a bit. So tonight we're talking about uh, 2016's The Assignment, also known as Tomboy. Uh, bracket Re, <laughs> Bracket Assignment, Tomboy, yeah. and also known as Tomboy A Revengers, Brackets Sick Tale. The punchline is that it was 2016. Yeah. That's like the main... <laughs> point that makes this movie so bad yeah. is, it, is that it was last year yeah you don't you don't see a lot of movies in recent times that have four titles <laughs> that's kind of like a i thought you just made those up oh no 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 th- th- those are the actual titles what yeah if you look up the assignment on imdb it's like title that is on the page is just tomboy Wow. If you look it up on imdb you'll also see that this movie which is michelle rodriguez plays <laughs> Her first leading role since 2000's Girl Boxer? Uh, Girl Fight. Girl Fight. Uh, you racist. <laughs> what? <laughs> she is playing a gender reassigned hitman. Forcibly reassigned. Forcibly yes. reassigned. Which is the name of my new prog band. In <laughs> a script that apparently was first written in, was it 1978? No. So this is a movie, this is a script that has had 39 years to percolate and just get it. Just get it perfect. Dot all the I's, cross all the T's, reassign all the genders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, like, first of all, like, like, obviously, this has been massaged over the years. But the idea that, like, obviously, it, <laughs> uh, in, like, in a non-sexual, in a purely it, literary way, like massage, like we're not talking about, like a full shiatsu. We're like talking about, like you know, like you go up to someone, you kind of like knuckle their knee, like oh, you knucklehead, that light a massage. I was thinking more like time massage, where it's like elbows. Oh, okay. uh, nice. so so it, like yeah, the the idea that like this was uh, something that has been uh, gestating since the the late seventies. And another thing to consider is that like the director, like his filmography, his association with uh, film and TV is insane. Like uh, this guy directed the Warriors. Yes. This guy directed both of the Forty Eight Hours films. Mm-hmm. He directed Red Heat with Schwarzenegger. Uh, where Schwarzenegger plays, uh, hopefully I'm not uh, wrong here, a, a Russian guy, right? He's like a Soviet yeah. like, dude. Like yeah, so the, 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 we have this, this Bavarian bodybuilder as a Russian guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, Walter Hill also uh, produced all of the Alien films. So, as some like, Alien is my favorite movie. I know way more about each movie's production than any person reasonably should. Uh Walter Hill, along with his writing part, his production partner Alec Gillis, 
they are the partially the reasons why Alien is such a great film as it is. Yeah, it's crazy. Like they took this really campy, very sci-fi script written by Dana Bannon and Raul Shusette, and they massaged it into something that was more grounded and had like an element of social realism to him. So I owe I I felt like I owed Walter Hill a lot. I believe that now. <laughs> no, well, that's one of the things that shows up in this film, which is there is a lot of exposition by a lot of characters, all giving a lot of kooky reasons as to why they did something. Like all these little sort of flagpoles as to why this character might do something is done in this film, and then ne- none of them ever pay off. It's like uh, this person really likes Edgar Allan Poe, and so oh, oh brother, yeah, nevermore, nevermore will I trust a reason why a character likes Edgar Allan Poe. The self-consciously awkward uh, attempts at smartifying various exposition uh, character development points, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's downright uncomfortable. Among writers, there's like a kind of a general, fi- writers of fiction, writers of nonfiction, like a general adage is show, don't tell. <laughs> don't uh. like say this, was a, <laughs> this character was badass. Show us the ways in which this character is badass. Have them do like certain actions, imply certain things through what they don't say. This is a movie of characters straight up just saying other characters' traits out loud to establish those characters. It's crazy because it exists in like two, at least two characters' different flashbacks of which they're recounting things that are happening on screen that would be nice little visual touches into why a character is doing something. But then they say, this is why I did this, so that this other thing could happen. And then they do that other thing. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, this is like, it's it's like a PowerPoint presentation, except with Michelle Rodriguez must really have blown through all of her lost money. And all of her, like, Fast Fate of the, the Furious. Yeah. I mean, let's get into this. Let's get into this film. It's it's done. I don't even know how to do it chronologically. Oh, let's- so the framing device is Sigourney Weaver is this once famous surgeon. She's now being held in a mental, like, institution. Yeah, basically she pled insanity, whatever. She's being interviewed by a psychologist played by a great character actor, Tony Shalhoub. The monk. Yeah. <laughs> Looby-doo. Yes. They called him on set. I added that to IMDb today. <laughs> I like to think he'd appreciate that. Zero out of seven uh, upvotes so far. So, Anyways, so he's just trying to go over the case of how she got to end up in that facility uh, with Sigourney Weaver's surgeon character, dropping the expository phrase, as you know, multiple times in that <laughs> opening discussion. Yeah, so basically Sigourney Weaver's character was found severely injured in her little private clinic hospital with all of her accomplices dead some like two years, not two years ago, like I think like a year ago or something. And this, the way the story is related, is like, how did we get to this point? How did we get to Sigourney Weaver in a straight jacket rambling on about some guy who killed her brother? Yeah. And then later on, it switches some of the framing devices to Michelle Rodriguez talking into a camera to send her a lawyer in Miami. Just in case anyone wants to know the real history. That's what both these characters really want to do. Sigourney Weaver really wants to just get done that day and get off set. I think that's pretty clear throughout this film. Because every word that's put into her mouth is a travesty. For whatever reason, I'm only kind of realizing this now. Like, I'm hard-pressed to think of another film where the, uh, I guess, primary the expository device, uh, something kind of driving the film forward, is... Two separate sort of 
like recounts of something that has happened in the past. You know what I mean? Because it's like, 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 like normally it's like it's either multiple people telling the same, like, like a Rashomon thing, where it's just like, what are the things that are different in the story? But in this one, it's like you get two sources that at the end of the film are pretty much like uh, accurate depictions yeah. of what happened. <laughs> and it's kind of like, did you really need both of them? So Tony Shalhoub keeps calling into question all these things that uh, Sigourney Weaver says, because Sigourney Weaver says, I am a doctor who is pioneering research. This is the thing. It, it, her, her character is very weird for a number of reasons. But anyways, she's one who would offer very cheap gender reassignment surgery to people in need, but also by only taking other people who she deemed not worthy of being alive and for the betterment of society. But then Tony Shalhoub believes at the end that all these, everything that Sigourney Weaver did or says happened was actually done by a jealous lover. But then almost every time he suggests that, it cuts to Michelle Rodriguez's character saying, yep, I really did that. I killed these people. But let's let's go back. Let's go into... Guys, if you're going to do basically The Skin I Live In, was that the horror movie? Could you even release that movie today? Could you even release that one, which was sort of... I never saw it. I just Oh, it's a masterpiece. The, I just read like the Wikipedia summary. I think it came out like some it, after 2010. Oh, for sure. And even like within like the year it came out recently, I'm like, oh, that's a, hmm, that's a twist. It's like yeah. maybe something that might have... The larger populace might have been like kind of chill with circa 1991 when you have like Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, that raises. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm some of my words because I don't know. Forced gender reassignment surgery is. Here's the thing about this idea for a film. I get it. It's interesting. Forced gender reassignment surgery. That's a cool idea for a horror film. Have a character be forcefully reassigned to gender and then have them live the real trans experience where they're never feeling really into their body. Yeah, body Everyone dysphoria. feels like they see them one way, they see themselves the other way. The audience is led into this idea that they're actually not that way. And then at the end, it's a big trans metaphor of like, this is how trans people actually feel. Yeah. You could do something like that really, really well. The one things you shouldn't do if you're going to do this is one, introduce the, the character as their pre-op version of themselves to give, give <laughs> them the exact same dimensions and face shape and everything else as that character. Three, show that character showering so you see that person's naked, hairless body from behind because I guess they couldn't afford what happens in number four, which is the shag hair carpeting that goes on Michelle's Rodriguez's body to show that she was at first a man. It is the most horrifying thing about this movie, and it's done in the first 10 minutes. And a major prosthetic dick. And a major dick, as if to just be... So this man is probably 110 pounds soaking wet, and like nine of them are in his penis. <laughs> and that is Michelle Rodriguez's character. Is we're, we're, we're introduced to Frank, her character, for like the first 15 minutes are him as a... Is her as Frank, as a male, with like a really poorly applied like beard. a pube beard, basically. A pube beard. <laughs> her regular hair, which she said at some point, I'm not cutting this for this movie... <laughs> So he's wearing a ponytail and then just a giant dick. Like, and the funny thing about a the, monstrous like, Hodor dick on a person <laughs> who is all of Michelle Rodriguez's like, proportions, which is, again, 110 pounds soaking wet. There was even a point where she was walking, he was, was walking out of the shower and the camera, like, 
followed his dick down. It like dropped a bit to make sure we like remembered the it whole felt time. Like they were like, okay, we're gonna do this. It's gonna be really great, guys. We're gonna have Michelle Rodriguez in prosthetics, and they're like, oh, awesome! This is gonna be so great. But it's not. It's really not reading on camera. I don't know. Is there some way we can do? We've only got one day left of shooting in this place. Is there a way we can? Tony, go to the deli. See if there's something that we can just maybe put into like a red condom. We'll we'll light it really terribly, and we'll just shine a little bit. Imagine on this dick. they made Tony Shalhoub go and get the thing. <laughs> it's like, like <laughs> it's like hey, like I was hanging out with uh, Paul Thomas Anson the other day. Turns out he still got the prop from the end of Boogie Nights. <laughs> uh, the latex may have shrunk since the movie, but it's still pretty sizable. It's like, how's our budget? He, he, let's borrow it for five minutes. <laughs> I mean, the the skin I live in, like the idea of sort of, I guess, forced gender reassignment surgery, it's within the uh, context of super horrific psychological and physical torture and just like menacing someone and what is the worst thing I can do to someone and then in this movie as like awkwardly explicitly stated by uh, Sigourney Weaver she frames the whole thing as this is an experiment to see if gender is just a social construct and so it's funny to see like, that was again, like her secondary point too, though, right? Yeah, like I mean, like, like I guess it's sort of like, like her character, her whole thing is like, again, I'm not saying this is an intentional thing by the writer, but like her thing is like being full of shit, you know? What right. I mean? And that, like, like, the, and they go to great lengths to show how she's always like, I was the top of my class, I was the <laughs> yeah. best surgeon, I was this, I was this, I'm the best. I and have so, three degrees. Yeah. And that like, like, you know, she's waxing poetic about uh, like, oh, people who don't want to pay all this money for the surgery. I'm going to do it for them. But that like it was because you were uh, lost your did license to be a surgeon or whatever. And so, I mean, with the gender reassignment thing, it's that like she, you know, like talks about how she doesn't give a shit about uh, her brother who was killed by uh, Frank Kitchen uh, slash Mr. Rodriguez slash Tomboy. But also she frames it under the guise of it being an experiment and and like, like, what's the relationship between biology and a social contract of uh, male versus female? And so, I mean, like, it's interesting, like uh, Walter Hill, the director, when he talks about this film, he is completely upfront with using the phrase B movie. (laughs) And like, I, I, I thought that was kind of interesting because like, I feel like B movie isn't a phrase that the director can attribute to his film. You know, I feel like it's, it's like a pass to be shitty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That like that like the thing that makes it great and the thing that makes it B is that you wanted to make it great and yeah. it's fucking dumb as shit. Yeah, like the the Evil Dead movies are B movies in that Sam Raimi put his all into them. Exactly. But exactly. For, but because of the combination of budget and his own like admitted like limitations and like the actors he had access to, they aren't exactly A-list movies. There's like, if you're like intentionally going for something like sub, you know, why not put your full self forward? I mean, he's trying to do uh, what happened with the room, which was first was like the, one of the greatest dramas of all time. And then as actually Tommy Wiseau's dark comedy. Yeah. Like you can't say it's a B movie because it turned out so badly. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's what the B stands for. But let's let's talk about 
Okay, so the central seat of this movie is Sigourney Weaver's brother was killed by Michelle Rodriguez back when she was a man. Frank Kitchen. AKA Frank, Frank Kitchen. Kitchen. The least uh, intimidating name <laughs> ever. Yeah, it really is. And so Sigourney Weaver play, pays Honest John, one of two Johnnies in this movie, that was fun and pointed out in the credits, to send uh, Michelle Rodriguez her way so she, that she can forcefully reassign Michelle Rodriguez's gender to be female. And then within like the first, I want to say 20 minutes of this movie, you're given all of the plot points. Yes. You're told everything because the movie, the climax of the movie is told at the beginning where Michelle Rodriguez or where Tony Shalhoub is talking about what happens to Sigourney Weaver. And it flashes to her at the end of the movie where she has been shot on an operating tray uh, by Michelle Rodriguez. And so the rest of the movie is basically more flashback. Like you're just you're you're working backwards and slowly forwards at the same time to this midpoint of yeah. so like uh, in terms of like the idea behind flashbacks is like they should reveal something like something about like a plot like something that was previously hidden or unspoken like every flashback should have a purpose like either revealing a plot point or something about characters. I was almost waiting for Sigourney Weaver to interrupt Tony Shalhoub during that overthing, and she goes. I bet you're wondering how I ended up here. Yeah. Well, Edgar Allan Poe says that the wandering heart has only one life and blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Sigourney Weaver, who, like, one of my favorite actors ever, just... Agree. You can just hear the kind of resigned sigh in everything she's saying. What favor did she own, owe this man? Because she was probably, like, in Alien around the time that this script was first being it, written. 78, Alien and weirdly, it's still a first draft 39 years yeah. later. She wrote, put in writing, I'm going to be this character. <laughs> don't don't even tell me that Harvey Weinstein... And how Weinstein, did you get Monk? Don't even tell me that Harvey Weinstein wasn't involved. I mean, this, this, this is very Weinstein-esque. Yeah. Tony Shalhoub, he's a working actor. He'll It takes what you get because he likes the work. But I hated his character. <laughs> I know, he's completely useless. Like, all of the flash... I guess you could say flash forward stuff like in the Mecca yeah. Hospital, completely not needed. Like all these, the flashbacks and stuff, like they don't reveal anything. They're entirely redundant. And like, it kind of almost feels like padding. He was like scared of her too for no yeah. reason. And they get, got rattled by her after everything she said. And Well, then there is that one fearsome scene where Sigourney Weaver's uh, over time with interviews with Tony Shalhoub, her her bonds in her crazy jacket, which is how we're introduced to this character, who's supposed to be one of the most respected, uh, like highly trained uh, surgeons surgeons that there is, and only ever wears uh, like suits or like bow ties and like slick back hair. Sigourney Weaver really did not get a budget for her wardrobe in this at all. But anyways, um, the one moment, the one surgeon. day that Tony Shalhoub is like, okay, let's get the uh, arms out. She slaps him lightly across the face with the with the straps of her crazy jacket, and straight, jacket. straight jacket, crazy and jacket. and like it's just like Tony Shalhoub's. It's such an offense to this character. Like, oh my god, broken trust, blah 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 blah. But I like, I mean, how do you press forward in the plot of this movie? Because it's all. It feels like they had all this raw footage. They realized they couldn't tell it chronologically. They're like, how do we cut this up in Adobe? To make it seem interesting, because there were quite a lot of lens flares. And did you see that screen cap I sent you of her shooting the camera? And so, that, like, oh, the, the comic book transition. So, <laughs> it, here's an interesting thing. Uh, when I was watching the movie, those scenes where it was Adobe Illustrator uh, live trace vector version of yeah. things, 
I was like, this is weird. Like, are they trying to kind of like youth it up for people? But apparently Walter Hill uh, originally, he had some success with a graphic novel that he'd written in France. Mm -hmm. And so I guess he kind of retooled this as a graphic novel. And so I guess that he was including sort of graphic novel-y stuff. That makes it so much worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it does. Uh, in the film. So it's it, that, that like, that I guess it was sort of like, oh, like, you know, if I'm going to make it a film version of this, I, I want to have some gra- graphic novel yeah. touches to it's it. It's like he first... had a point that he wanted to make and then just shot on it. I was like, oh, now it's a B movie. Yeah. It's like not the first movie of his, or at least the first cut of a movie of his to use that transition effect, like those comic book style panels, those are in the director's cut of The Warriors. Interesting. Thankfully, I've never seen that director's cut. I can't imagine it would hold up that well. Uh, <laughs> but and it also explains why at the end there's like a post credits quote by Frank Kitchen, which is uh, a 45 will never lie to you. Uh, a 45 will never lie to you might be good or bad, but a 45 always tells the truth or something <laughs> like that. And it's, I think, like, in a comic book or graphic novel format, that might be, like, an interesting little thing to put at the end. But like, in, as, at the end of the movie, as, like, we're summing up this movie in Helvetica posted over the last scene of the film, doesn't work at all. It's, 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 it's weird to think of, like, like, a filmmaker having the level of self-awareness to say, like, this is a B movie. And, like, again, like, I was reading about this movie and that, like, on multiple occasions, in multiple instances throughout the sort of development of this film... He was like, oh, like this is going to be a, a B movie, uh, whether it's due to uh, budget constraints or whether it's due to fucking corniness. And it, it, it's bizarre that like the, the B movie aspect is sort of like it's still beyond his his grasp in the sense of sort of like combining like pulpy garbage and uh, sociopolitical contemporaneous stuff. I mean, if he was actually aiming for B-movie status, I think he earned it completely with this. Like, it's it's so bad. Who aims for that? Well, yeah, I think M. Night Shyamalan did once, and it took him years to recover. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about sort of the main crux of this movie. Sort of between the time of Michelle Rodriguez uh, coming out of her sort of... Uh, anesthesia uh after her post-op i love killing there was a scene where she's like in bandages and she kept like trying to blink her eyes and you could tell that the bandage was like in the most awkward spot for her eyes but she probably couldn't communicate that (laughs) and she kept trying to blink and the bandage kept like Getting stuck in her eyelid. I love that. that was Walter, can you, first. So get that, that dress over here, please. That whole post, no two takes. That whole post op scene, like you know, you don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a pharmacologist to see that. Like, there's some serious fucking issues with that. <laughs> so that this person awakes to find that they have had both cosmetic surgery on their face. They have had uh, like breast implants put into them and that they have had gender reassignment surgery and that they wake up and it's a surprise so like again i'm not a doctor but i mean like like i would have to assume that if you woke up and you didn't have stitches or staples in you that it means that those various surgeries happened what six to eight weeks ago yeah yeah see sigourney weaver is such a good surgeon as she says she could do this without any leaving any scarring 
Right, right, but, but, but but I mean, like, really? Like, but the thing is that, like, like, oh no, I'm I'm agreeing with you. I'm just saying, like, this is the movie's bullshit. Right, right. But I mean, like, like again, like, like, like that would mean that she has been so heavily drugged up for six to eight weeks, which I mean, like, is impossible. Like, I mean, like, you don't have to be a fucking doctor to know that. I mean, like, if someone's gonna be like that out of it for six weeks. They're gonna be a fucking vegetable. Yeah, like the the idea that like and she like, just gets up and walks around. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. That like there's there's gonna be no point during those uh fifty to seventy days that uh the the anesthesia wears off and she's like, oh shit, my dick is gone. <laughs> that's, that's fucking insane. And her so, reaction is amazing. Okay, no, but you're 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 skipping over the best part of this. Michelle Rodriguez <laughs> as a man looked like Michael Jackson. Trying to pass off as a man. Agree. The, so but that was the character who we were supposed to buy in. The, but I mean, that like, <laughs> like it was that level of just sort of like he did, like Michelle Rodriguez as a man did not look like a man anymore. He he looked very very fanciful. He looked like an elf. She looked, she looked like a drag king. So <laughs> Michelle Rodriguez's reveal of pulling off her face is one of shock and horror of seeing her new face. And it hasn't changed. It looks she like she shaved. She shaved. And uh, she they, is like borderline howling at this, that someone has shaved her face. Nothing else has changed. Her, her, Everyone else in this film from that point on will say, whoa, I don't recognize you at all. She shaved. She, That's she, all that happened. And then wanders around the room, she touches her, her boobs, stick, touches her new vagina and howls. <laughs> and like, I understand the instinct to howl for this because... There is nothing, there's no method acting that pre- prepares you <laughs> for what you have to do, which is be shocked at lost slash change of your genitals yeah. in, in just like the action lines of the script. And she does the best job that I think anybody could. She doesn't even like see that she doesn't have a dick anymore and get upset. She like puts her finger inside herself. There was a lot of... Like I can't wait for the porn parody of this movie. One of the lead actors in one of the most popular franchises right now is doing this film. Yeah. And sort of like, yeah, there's a lot of really ironclad, no nudity contracts in Hollywood. How did Michelle Rodriguez not get that for this? During the sort of like, probably like 20, 20 30 minutes after she's woken up and discovered OMG 5000, uh, <laughs> not a man, I'm a woman. And she's wearing uh, like a bathrobe. I was going to say, it's funny, but. She's not trying that hard to cover up. Oh, and there's no. a lot of boobies spilling. That's throughout. one of the things I actually kind of liked. If you were a man who f- was just forcefully given breast implants, you would not have any sense of those at all. You're like, and when she goes and kills the guy who tries to check to see what's downstairs, because I'm the sickly man who lives in this or owns this hotel or whatever. Yeah. And then she, she kills him, and as she does it, a boo pops. Like, that was realism in the film. Less so when she goes around the corner to one of many of Canada's fine LCBOs uh, <laughs> to pick up what looks like in every shot to be a bottle of white wine, but the, the movie sort of insists is uh, some sort of liquor. So I'll I give th- them yeah. that. But I, think so, it was, I think it was Russian Prince vodka. It's like, this is worth noting to like American listeners. The way alcohol is distributed in Canada is like fairly limited. We don't have like really cheap looking liquor stores here. All of our liquor stores are designed to look classy and welcoming. And it's like they're desperately trying to pass off this LCBO or beer store as like like a corner hooch 
place. I don't even know the terminology for it. It's so foreign to me as a Canadian. Uh, but like, so it's like everyone's laughing. Excuse me, sir. Where's your corner hooch establishment? <laughs> Listen, I, I, I just got some boobs. I need I'm looking boobs. for some moderately priced alcohol. I mean, like, yeah. just a, I, I don't drink. I literally just turned down a beer that Riley offered me. So this, this, this is like this is like if, if BB King walk up to you and you're just like, "Hey, brother, I need a title for my new song." And you're like, "Uh, Corner Hooch." <laughs> that swings. Look, 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 look. Down by the earlier on, <laughs> earlier on, I think it's you, Riley, who was expecting me, but like. Could you like have possibly like made a movie like this to like basically to create like like an empathy movie to make people understand what gender dysphoria feels like? Because for people who have gender dysphoria and haven't transitioned, it's been described as like a feeling of like drowning in your own body. It could feel horrendous. And like maybe someone like much more thoughtful could have made a movie about that. Maybe the Wachowski sisters. But typically whenever like kind of cisgender guys make a movie about anything related trans issues it basically boils down to castration anxiety mm. and i say that as someone who likes the whistleblower expansion to the game outlast 2 which has a sequence where in first person <laughs> you're chained to a table and a deranged mental patient uh nearly buzz saws your dick off and you're saved at the last moment but it's meant to engender uh, the same feelings uh <laughs> like yeah this book all like the interesting discussion and like themes that can be brought up here. And it basically boils down to Michelle Rodriguez's character repeatedly going, my dick. <laughs> Earlier on, you say like, okay, let's focus on the plot points of this movie. But it's like, no, but no, the point I want to make is like, there really aren't many. It is the most straightforward. Like once you get past like the framing device of Sigourney Weaver uh, being interviewed by Tony Shalhoub, it is so straightforward. It's like, okay, I've been, like forcibly reassigned, I need to just kill all the people who are responsible for this. So we have to stop saying that as if it's normalizing something forcibly reassigned. Okay, I know. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like it? this is not a thing then that like, happens. I, I terrorizing. I want to, America's rural youth. I should point this out earlier. Not there's yet. a term circling online of like Obama's death panels are forcibly reassigning young men. No, like yeah, like, there's a term like a by shitty people going around online called this is forced feminization like no mm. and like so yeah we Whoa. should find like a different term for that but like it is fairly straightforward of her like oh these are all the people who could like lead me up to the chain here's just a montage of killing all these people well that was one of the weird things that happened is after and maybe it speaks to sort of frank's character as a hustler and a survivor that after reacquainting herself with the nurse who Which she took, pleased so well that took no effort then uh, like a few well i guess six to eight weeks before <laughs> hey <laughs> call me sometime I remember me you, you want to grab a coffee man I we are in one of the up. weirdest uh oh yeah you we had coffee at night together right <laughs> and then there's like a pause like yeah you won't have coffee again in like sort of a pseudo sort of i've got mail level of dialogue but yeah they, they've had a one night stand uh she said i'm wanting to stand with this is gangster dude and then she, uh, that Frank Ocean, uh, sorry. <laughs> oh, shit. It had to happen. A tornado flew around my room the other way. My dick took it away. Now I'm just here laid out on this bed. Would you like to come in and see me? I'm that guy who kills people for living. <laughs> Anywho. 
So yeah, so the, the Frank Kitchen uh, has a one night stand with this girl, uh, which is a, man. a hilarious sex scene though, because it's like <sighs> super rough. But right before that, he like rips out a condom. Yeah, which is just like, uh, the uh... and in every scene, the two of them are in. She's obviously taller than Frank Kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> Frank Kitchen just got that massive ding dong, hundred and ten pounds of steel. So yeah, the, the, the Frank Kitchen said this this one exam was person. Uh, he's been uh, you know experimented on for uh, God knows how many weeks. Calls this girl to the blue, and she's uh, completely willing to to not only see him again, but like have uh, him slash her uh, living with him. And says, "quote yeah. I don't want your money." Dramatic pause. We're friends. Dramatic pause. Fuck buddies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Is it? Isn't the phrase "fuck buddies" it, like? Doesn't it kind of belie? Yes, some, some kind of barrier. <laughs> if you're someone's fuck buddy, uh, do you pay their rent and live with them? <laughs> no, that's a, uh, that's your wife. And it's another moment where the movie is subtly lying to you, wherein she, the Johnny is is the one of the big twists is that Johnny knew about this and was being paid by Sigourney Weaver to keep tabs on uh, Kitchen. But when Johnny first picks up the phone, she has no idea who it is. There's visible confusion on her face in the hospital where she's talking from, of which Sigourney Weaver also ostensibly also works. And so, like, there's so many little things. Just, I guess, the internal logic of this film makes no goddamn sense. The two of them start living together and fucking all the time. And that's almost to the benefit of this film because the two actresses have no chemistry whatsoever. (laughs) There's a nice scene where... Um, the nurse comes over to Frank Kitchen and says, oh, it's good news. I'll have more time to spend with you. I'm no longer working doubles over at the hospital. And Michelle Rodriguez's response is just to keep going in for kisses. And the other actress doesn't respond as if like she's waiting for the next line to come. And then finally gives in and just, why don't you take off your sh- clothes or whatever. And that's that's the end of the Did you notice... But I'm like 95% sure that right as they started kissing, they both broke out into laughter. <laughs> like, I rewound it because I was like, I'm pretty sure. For like, a lot of just... reasons, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, My explanation as to why uh, I might not have noticed this laughter is I will say that, like, when we're talking about, like, you know, uh, is this a B-movie? A B is it possible for a director to uh, be self-aware enough to start a film project with the idea of it being a B-movie, I would say that this relationship is very B-movie. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, like it's it's so titillating. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And I mean, it's just like, like as, as dumb as this movie is and as bad as this movie is, I mean, as a heterosexual male, like, I mean, I could definitely willingly admit to like this whole thing about, oh, you know, like, they were laughing on their mind. I was definitely just like, oh baby, you know, mm-hmm. like, 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 the, the, like, 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 that was definitely one of the like the shitty, like, uh, who are we appealing to? Like lo- low hanging fruit, uh, like, like we're we're gonna use like sexuality to gloss over the fact that it's a shitty movie. But even I, mean, the, I was under its spell. The way that dialogue <laughs> works in that scene, wherein uh, the girl comes over and says, "Good news, I won't have to work double shifts at the hospital anymore." One that hasn't been set up that they're not getting enough time together to be together because of the double shifts at the hospital. Two, it's also there's no payoff wherein this girl discovers that she's a hitman 
because she now has more time to spend with Frank. It's just good news. There's this problem that has been solved in this scene that was only brought up because I was talking about it, and now it is done. It's a very The Room-esque sort of conversation. Take your shirt off and I'll do my best. Yeah, I was going to say The Room because the last time I've seen chemistry like this was with Tommy (laughs) Wiseau and that poor woman. So what happens after that? She gets a dog by killing a guy who's a dog fighter. Uh, And then she has a lot of, there's like some expository. Oh, and around this time, Frank, Michelle Rodriguez starts uh, filming her side of things to send to her lawyer. Yeah, so here's the other framing device in this movie. And I mean, it would be interesting if those two framing devices at some point were divisive in that they were telling two different versions of the same tale, but they tell the exact same tale. I mean, it's, 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 there's, there's a lot of work going into framing it this way and there's no payoff whatsoever for it's it. Almost it's just, like for it's so extra confusing. Time. Yeah. They needed more time to make a not 45 minute movie. So the only thing that's not dead about Frank is his deadly aim, which still resides within Michelle Rodriguez, who I think just keeps the name Frank throughout the whole film. Yeah, like not even Frankie. There was one point where she went to the doctor. That was the only like tinge of potential character development mm-hmm. when she was like just can i be a man again oh god and the yeah. doctor was like not really and he's like but can i be a man again and the doctor's like no you can't but can like i be a man again <laughs> it's, again it's just like it's just castration anxiety the movie uh they, just, like, just this very confused doctor like no, this is kind of irreversible. Did you think about this going into A it? doctor who in the scene is looking over somebody's notes about the case, <laughs> of which there are none that exist because it was done in a legal alley. Oh, I like to think that he was just, he was actually <laughs> holding the script. <laughs> <laughs> All 14 pages of it. Yeah, but like, that's like one of the things that Tony Shalhoub's character brings up in the present is that they can't find any record of Frank Kitchen. So like, they're going for that idea, at least in one of the framing devices, that maybe this is just a delusion. But like, no, like this isn't working at all. You really didn't think this. Which would be amazing if it was like all delusion by Sigourney Weaver's character, because there are there's a lot to suggest that maybe she's just so full of herself that she would pull something like this. And I thought maybe it was going to be like it was all going to be. A, OK, so there's another point where Sigourney Weaver wants to be. She wants to confess to only one crime that she actually did because <laughs> All the other horrifying things that she did, chopping up people to serve other people, um, not really crimes because she was furthering science. She's sorry that Frank uh, didn't conform to their gender uh, once they were reassigned. And so she goes to this to this deposition. And then after that deposition, Tony Shalhoub questions her about it. And there is this whole subtext in that scene that I didn't pick up, but Tony Shalhoub picked up. <laughs> Where I guess she was caught in a lie and then just deflated and gave into the lie. Wait, like that's gotta be a first, right? Characters pick up on subtext that the audience has no way of picking up on. It it's like the opposite of dramatic irony. Is that term even? No, no, that's kind of like dramatic irony, where the audience knows something the characters don't. Like, yeah, this is the exact opposite of that. Yeah. So Tony Shalhoub knows that Sigourney Weaver's lying. We have no idea about that. So it's Shalhoub starts asking, you know, why did you lie about this? Uh, you know, it's all you people are dogs. I don't even know why you guys are have the ability to question me, blah, 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 blah. And it just it, once I once I figured out that I had flubbed that one line mm-hmm. and there was no chance of me getting out. 
I just decided to enjoy my yeah. I will say stay. I will say that during that deposition, Sigourney Weaver was rocking an awesome suit. <laughs> you know, the, 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 Riley kind of brought this up before, and you're going to bring it up now, that this whole issue of uh, Sigourney's, I guess, non-sanitarium wardrobe, I, I feel like this was uh, another example of like uh, the filmmaker unintentionally adding some depth to uh, the film. And that, like, uh, because she was always seen in men's clothing, it was certainly reinforcing this idea of uh, this this gender-bending super killer is a figment of her imagination, is, is actually just a manifestation of her own personality. Yeah. But in reality, it's just that, yeah. The, the, oh, no, no. We are much smarter than this. The, 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 yeah, that the, 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 uh, homeboy just had his suit left over, and he's like, yeah, you're wearing this. So, I mean, and the thing is, Sigourney yeah. Weaver had more realistic padding in some of those suits that Michelle Rodriguez did when she was playing a man. It's so bad. Because, I mean, Sigourney Weaver is a very felt person at any at any age. And the, a lot of these were not complimenting. It was like she was using Ted Cruz's body. I have to admit that pretty much at the, after the deposition is where I pretty much tuned out of the movie. <laughs> oh, I was, I mean, I've been sleep driven high most of the week. So I was <laughs> like, I was watching this lying down on my bed from the other <clears throat> side of the room. Could barely hear the volume at just a certain point, like. I checked out enough that I would still be able to follow the movie and physically perceive it, <laughs> but without any emotional resonance with any of the events on screen. Yeah. You know, I like I uh I kind of felt like do you remember that jackass skit where they had the twenty dollar bill on the fishing line mm-hmm. and they would just kind of reel it in? Mm-hmm. I kind of felt like the movie was doing that, but with a. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez awkward nudity mm-hmm. where I was just like all right uh I, I I'm I'm gonna continue investing in this film because there's gonna be uh, some awkwardly presented boobies this is the closest we'll ever get to the porn parody of Fast and the Furious so <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. The, that it was like it and it's just like like again like I mean this is kind of like the I guess oh my sort God, of like too fast too furious it, it writes itself <laughs> The, the the enigmatic uh, unintentional kind of B movie thing. Someone it, it, like planning to do a B movie, but like the things that are the most B about it are the most intentional unintentional things. That it's just like you know anyone who knows anything knows that like Michelle Rodriguez is like a lesbian, but it's just that like what? like within the context of being like uh you know a, a dumb ass <laughs> cisgendered male or whatever. That it's just like you you willfully overlook that fact. <laughs> within the context of this film and it's just that like like the perverse sensuality of someone being mutilated into another gender and them uh, like awkwardly navigating being a woman that's just like on some like like sadistic sick sexual level that it's just like i'm i'm going to be somewhat invested in this on the most perverse sort of yeah right. like just again like it's kind of flashing back to the her immediately like freaking out after like waking up from the operation and like it's just like a lot of self-groping in a way that was like yeah this, are they trying to go sexy with yeah this? exactly exactly and it's like it's those moments where it's kind of like like uh like if they were going for sexiness it's like the same level of sexiness as von trier's antichrist yeah 
and I mean, I, I that like that's an interesting point. Like maybe it's that the the things that I was sort of finding unintentionally uh, <laughs> sexual <laughs> are the things that uh, you know uh, uh, only uh, uh, murderers uh, and uh, people that cut, <laughs> cut off people's heads and, and fuck their neck. Uh, would be interested in, you know. I mean, that's entirely Mind Hunter now on Netflix. There we go. <laughs> uh, but like, uh, yeah, like, it, it, I, and like, like, I feel like, like the the thing that made this film like fascinating, like it, it's not enjoyable at all. Like, no, it's it's like it's not, it's not a fun watch. But it's just like it's those moments where uh, you think like, you might be a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's all the time. But like. Those moments where, like the the this the, like the the filmmaker's sort of self awareness fizzles out, and that they they make a mistake or they fuck up or something, and that uh like unbeknownst to them, that's the best part of the film. <laughs> and it like those are the things I loved about it, and that like there were so many moments in this film that like even though, like it's it you know as a, as a, as a narrative as a movie proper. Like it's terrible, but it's just like seeing those moments where that sort of like uh, dumb person being self-aware blew up in their face. Those were the that was the shit, you know. So we're at this point in this film where Michelle Rodriguez has sort of adjusted to life on the outside, both outside of her mind, outside of her, outside of her hotel, outside of the way she used to live things, and the way she's adjusted is by doing the exact same thing again. She has done a number of hits, which are all done in a sort of like kiss, kiss, bang, bang style of like just quickness. It's a montage. Yeah, I'm using this to explain different aspects of my own killing personality. None of it really matters. She meets up with one of the people who initially captured her and just shoots him. And then that's done with. Then captures Honest Johnny, who we were introduced to uh, near the beginning of the film. Honest Johnny, there's not a lot to say here, except that this was like, oh, like... Again, you can tell this film was written over the course of 40 years because there's like, okay, this is the skin I live in section of it. This is the Reservoir Dogs section of it. This is the like, this is the Reservoir Dogs section of it. He's tied up in a chair. But ostensibly, the best line or line reading in this film Ooh. for me is when Honest Johnny, at the end of his rope, knowing he's going to die, say admits to Michelle Rodriguez that Johnny, the uh, the nurse that she's living with, was in on it, is one of Sigourney Weiner's, ooh, Weaver's pawns. Uh, <laughs> Sigourney Weiner. Uh, I mean, that's a great name for this role. And <laughs> she, he goes, he says to her, think about it. She's a nurse. Nurses work for doctors, right? <laughs> and then there's one beat, two beat, Three beats in the film. Michelle Rodriguez's response, you're right, and then shoots him. And it's just like there were so many different options for like a cool way of shutting him down or shooting him or just like trying to twist it up back on him. But it was just like her big comeback to think about it. Nurses work for doctors was. Yeah, but yeah. That, that fits how dumb that it works. Is. Boom, boom. End of scene. Honest, honest John is dead. He wasn't very honest. <laughs> <laughs> he was honest at the end. Honest, yeah. She goes back and sees uh, her nurse, John. Her explanation was, the, the nurse's explanation was, you know I'm a nurse. That part's true. <laughs> <laughs> 
it, it it's almost like uh that the filmmaker uh that their uh appreciation for uh the trials and tribulations of the medical profession that that sort of transcends morality and it's like yeah. all right all right all right, all right. I might have lied to you. Uh, I might have put you in a situation where you got your dick cut off, but I am a nurse. <laughs> All right. All right. Fair it sure. reminds me a lot of these days when I watch Survivor. And there's, this, there's been this fun and curious thing where millennials who are interacting with older people on Survivor will expect to be rewarded for showing honesty after they're being caught in a lie. And then pouting a lot when they get voted off the island. And that's what it seemed like in this situation where she was caught in a lie. It's just sort of like, oh, but no, I am a nurse. Right? <laughs> like that that part was true. So I deserve a little bit of credit for that. And it's like that wasn't the part that I and was really like, concerned about. And so surprised how easy it was for her to get drugs from the hospital. And then <laughs> come on. We we cut to this scene where Michelle Rodriguez blows her head off. Turns out that was a fake out. I mean, it's probably one of the most telling things that this was originally thought of as a B movie. And then like they're trying to market it as such, because that's something you can sort of include in the trailer in sort of the more grittier, like a like a red band trailer. You can include that sort of thing and then, you know, get asses in the seats. It's a very exploitative shot to put in the film. Michelle Rodriguez finally gets to the point where she can finally finger the doctor. Let me rephrase oh, that. Wow. Hashtag pun. You were sitting on that for a while. And <laughs> Michelle Rodriguez finally figures out where uh, Sigourney Wiener's main doctor is. Uh, her main nurse is the one who handles all the yeah, business end the of surgery. her nefarious ends. Uh, the male nurse uh, has a predilection for prostitutes. Uh, so that's how. Michelle Rodriguez determines that she'll get in as being a call girl. And there's a scene of her putting on makeup for the first time that we know of in this film. I thought it would have been really funny if there was like just a little quick montage of her not being able to put it on and being like, this is really fucking tough. And like calling in the other girl and being like, Like, how do I do this or something like that? There's not. She puts on makeup perfectly, puts on a. I disagree that uh, that that uh, not only when she was in the process of putting on lipstick it look awkward but even like when she's done up like the lipstick looked bad yeah but that's a b-movie thing it's not it's a, a it's not a it was supposed to be bad because that's just, no one calls it into it's a b-movie they all the actors all do their own makeup <laughs> uh, see th- th- this is the genius of the b-movie <laughs> that, that it, it, you're that you're assuming that they fucked up Excellent. Yes, uh, that genius that gets you 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's what we should call this episode, the genius of the B-movie. The genius of the Rotten. Anyways, so she gets to this place, and finally, there's actually a little bit of tension in this, wherein he, the nurse opens the door and goes, ah, you're tasty, or something like that. So Some bad B-movie dialogue about that. And then as soon as she comes in, the three people that Tony Shalhoub at the beginning of the movie said were all murdered... <laughs> This draining all this scene out of any any semblance. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, we know how this goes. You were found uh, barely conscious around three men. And then she, she explains, oh, these are people that I hired, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so they sedate her forcibly. Not the worst thing they've done With to her. the needle in the neck. Which, yeah. <laughs> it's like, like, it, like, like, if there is anything that's more B-moving, 
Uh, I'm willing to fucking hear it. It's like, 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 that. that's the least medical, the least practical way of uh, administering an intravenous injection like into someone's neck it would go into her esophagus yeah, like, it's completely insane yeah. and then like the fact that like another thing is that like they're administering it and that she's fighting back but that like she's not fighting uh with her head that <laughs> she's like but not moving <laughs> it's just like like it's insane. It's like that. Yeah. Do they even need to do that when they outweigh this poor girl like six to one? The three of them in this scene, at yeah, least. It's, it's ridiculous. Anyway, Sigourney Weaver comes in, says, "Ooh, let me take that wig off you because she's wearing a wig, a blonde wig. You always look better natural." Which would have been better payoff if at the beginning, when she first discovered that she was a female, she was like, "Oh, I need to pass to something and dye to blonde or something like that." But no, it was just for that one night. And what is the second operation they're going to perform on Michelle Rodriguez? I, was, I wasn't oh. clear at this point. Yeah, I was very confused. But at this point, it was in my secondary window. And you know, I, <laughs> I, I feel like that they were implying, uh, despite s- strong uh, feelings that the previous uh, Asian doctor uh, had expressed, that I, I feel like that, like, she was going to, turn Frank Kitchen back into a... Because it was like a failed experiment of Sigourney Weaver. She didn't want being out on the yeah, street, that, so that, this is going to be... Yeah, that she was, like, so idealistic. And I mean, again, ultimately, it's up to the viewer that, like, could she actually do it or not? Or is she just, like, fucking nuts? I mean, she saved the operation dick. she performed in the first place was basically magic, so why not? <laughs> yeah. Uh, just takes the dick out of the freezer. Basically and magic. <laughs> Here, let me just reapply those pubes to your <laughs> to your chin, sir. Um, there you go, passing as male. But again, it's a, it's this final scene of Michelle Rodriguez. It's a big showdown. Michelle Rodriguez, Sigourney Weaver, and there's absolutely no tension because you're in this you're in the spot where Sigourney Weaver is shot and shown being shot in the beginning of the film, so you know exactly what's going to happen. And then Sigourney Weaver starts talking about a very old style humidifier that she has. Yeah. That was so bizarre. (laughs) At that point, I was starting to fall asleep, but the absurdity of that conversation woke me up a bit. You know, like, I I, I love that because that was just like another sort of, I'm a crazy character. Here's a crazy thing about me. I feel like that humidifier (laughs) thing, that was one of the many uh, moments in the assignment where someone was trying to uh, create a Hannibal Lecter character, yeah. although they're just like a fucking dumbass yeah. piece of shit, and that like like the, the, like like this, like I feel like the, the Sigourney Weaver character it's an example of a super genius created by a fucking dumbass piece of <laughs> <Yes>. shit <laughs> who like they like deep down not only can they not understand what a super genius would be, but that like. They're just too fucking dumb to get it. And so they think... Probably that, like, read Shakespeare. Yeah, they think that, that, that every genius is going to be constantly bragging about what they do. <laughs> they think every genius, first of all, is going to refer to Edgar Allan Poe as Poe? <laughs> Who the fuck says Poe? Like, uh, read a fucking book. <laughs> I've never heard uh, uh, like an, an English lit person. You mean like, the oh, yeah, Poe? Like, uh, who the fuck's Poe? Oh, wait, I thought you were talking about like Referring to Poe just by his last name. I've, I've never heard someone say that. Everyone always says Edgar Allan Poe. Really? 
I'm, I'm, I was an English major. We would say Poe because it's shorter than saying Edgar Allan Poe. Anyways, there was like two conversations going wow. on. I always thought it was just a Teletubby. <laughs> but yeah, like that, that, that like, uh, um, yeah, it, I, I feel like like it, it was, it was almost like the Sigourney Weaver character was like someone who doesn't like smart people and they're using mm-hmm. Sigourney Weaver as like a foil to show how uh, like smart people are are, are bad. Yeah. But the know? best part of the scene is Sigourney Weaver is pulling out her knife that she's going to use in the surgery and it's like an extended letter opener. It's a fucking like small blade. That's that her she's secret. Using. That's how there's no scars. That's how there's no scars. I can go deeper. With the cuts that that whole scene, I, I, and she uses a sham wow to clean up. No mess. I'm I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the sham wow the logistical issues of that scene because it's like like that like it, Sigourney Weaver like her 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 weapon or whatever to face off against it, 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 it yeah it, exactly it, to face off against Frank Hitchin is like like it. Like a like a cleaver, you know. It's like like, like the, the, should it be a scalpel or something? And then like um that that whole Frank Kitchen. So Frank Kitchen has this whole thing, and this goes back to the start of the film where uh he slash she, depending on uh what part of the film you're at, uh <laughs> they will duct tape a single uh, uh round to the bottom of their shoe. But here's the funny thing. No matter like, how high the heel is. Yeah. Here's the funny thing that, like, with uh, with a 45, that like you'd have to put it into the magazine and then put it into the gun and then chamber the round. And like, it's like, like, like no. The funny thing is that the guy had to wear heels beforehand for that to work. That's true. <laughs> but it's funny because it's like, like, like with that with that particular firearm that like Sigourney Weaver had have tons of time to leap. At him and stab him in the throat. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's just like it. it it's not really like a like an ace in the hole. You know? Because I mean, you think about it to like jam around into that and then put it into the gun and then chamber it around and then shoot someone. It's like that's like three four seconds. And I mean, like the person, e- even even someone who isn't a cold blooded killer, even the biggest fucking dumbass on the planet, they're gonna stab the shit out of your fucking <laughs> face during that time. You know, it's like buy a fucking Glock, you could drop it right in the fucking ejector slot, and then chamber around like in Deja Vu, <clears throat> starring uh, Denzel Washington. So at the end of the film, it's revealed Sigourney Weaver has been left with two permanently up. Middle fingers, so, no, no, no she, middle nubs. No, she only had thumbs left. The no, she got the nubs, but she, but like it the really way that the, it's cut, no, the way that it's cut. But it's, the only she had thumbs. All the rest of them were cut off. Yeah, but yeah, I mean yeah. the way that they're cut is like small up to the knuckle, small, small. Oh, wow, it's because she was holding them down. <laughs> yeah, like, they're just taped to her hand. But I, I assume that it's like we've been with You've Frank for long never enough. Cut someone's fingers. Off. <laughs> I assume it was for her to give the fingers to everybody forever because that's the way she's holding them at the end. Oh, like yeah, she mini- holds them up. Like, Sigourney Weaver just looks so sad and resigned. The sequel, I just felt so much sympathy. It was it was definitely one of the most illogical uses of the, like, it, like medicinal baths. <laughs> of the budget. <laughs> she's like, like they're, they're in, like, a, what is it called? Like, a clawfoot? Yeah. Yeah, cloth, uh, clawfoot bath. And it's just uh, like, hydrotherapy. Uh, it's just like, like, Four step fingers, and I was just like, "Oh yeah, 
the fucking uh, eucalyptus uh, bath salts are going to help <laughs> with your fingers being cut off. I mean, the thing is, she's legitimately <laughs> also in a sanitarium. Like, it's not like yeah, a mental health facility. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it looks right out of the nick. You know, it's it, it, like going, going back to the whole thing about like how uh, Sigourney Weaver is kind of like the, the, the dumbass person's iteration of Hannibal Lecter. But the outcome of their Hannibal Lecter character, like it's, it's basically again, like the, the, the dumbass persons, like kind of like uh, in Silence of the Lambs, like Hannibal Lecter, you know, escapes because he's a fucking genius. Right. But like in this film, because genius is regarded as something that's like, oh, they think they're better than this. Because it was written before nerds were cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That like that like th- this is the punishment that those snobby motherfuckers deserve. <laughs> Yeah, this is what Revenge of the Nerds was originally <laughs> written in response to, and now they're just setting up the sequel for our fingers, a social construct. There's no way. This- <laughs> <laughs> Each one of these digits will be able to do whatever you want. <laughs> Did that person Rogers just manhandle me? No, I swear I'm a woman. This little piggy went to market. This one <laughs> shot somebody. <laughs> This one somehow got Sigourney Weaver to come back for a sequel. Um, guys, let's talk about when and where and how to recommend this movie to people because the word needs to get out about this, which I believe is being released on VOD in the United States this year because it has a 2016 slash 2017 release date. It says Amazon Prime written all over Because <laughs> it's just the goods. It's just the prime goodness, right? Uh, it's a movie that's only divisible by goodness and itself. Like, uh, I don't think this is a good movie, but, but. like, it, it's, it has a strange amount of kind of, like, cross-demographic appeal. Like, I would say uh. that it is uh, violent and, uh, like, titillating enough for people that like trash to be interested in it. And at the same time, I think that, again, unintentionally. I don't, that- I don't even know if that's true, though. But continue. <laughs> <laughs> I love, uh, sorry. I saw how, like, Michael, please offer us your unfettered opinion on this. And even then, like, Tony's just like, no, fuck off. Your opinion is true. Sorry, Michael, continue. That is like the girl that stole my virginity. Uh, okay, so uh, yeah, the, 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 like I, I feel like stole it. <laughs> I feel like like there's elements in this film that could trick, like kind of want want to be intellectuals into thinking that there's something uh, deep and something significant. Yeah. And again, like like uh, w- within the context of like dumbass people trying to uh, extrapolate some meaning from this. There's elements that are both uh, intentional and unintentional on the filmmaker's part. Before the podcast, we were talking about, like, you know, like, w- what's the correlation between a film like this and uh, the, all the other Seagal films we're in the past? And that, like, I mean, like, there's, a, like, a, a mess of contradictions. Uh, there's, a, the, there's so many sort of, like, we wanted to do this, but uh, we did this instead. And the things that, like, we fucked up are arguably the best parts of the film. And I mean, like, is there anything more Seagal than that? 
And so I feel like that, like, uh, even though this film isn't, you know, a great film as a self-contained thing, that, like, there's some pretty, there's fascinating enigmatic things about it. And so it, it's, it's certainly deserving a podcast. Do you want to go out and watch it? I don't know. But uh, I don't regret watching it. Tony, let's get a hot take from you. Well, I mean, can't top that, but uh, <laughs> I, I agree in the sense that there's definitely some people out there that will watch this and think. I mean, that's the end of the sentence. <laughs> there are some people out there that will watch this. There are people. They will watch moving pictures. It will correspond to <laughs> this what this is film is. That exists. I will put money on it that some people will watch this. Of those, of those people. Mm-hmm. I imagine some of them, like Michael said, will think that they're smarter because of watching it. Because of the subtext of gender stuff. I don't know if I agree about... I don't don't know know if anyone who is, like, ignorant of gender and also... Like, anyone who's ignorant of how good and bad films work is also going to be pretty clued in on how gender works. Hey, guys, I found this really great but problematic film... I think we should all check it out. That's what I mean. I think people will watch it and then use it as a discussion piece for like extrapolation further than. I wanted to celebrate that we all helped end apartheid, but I found something else that I think we really should take a look at. Yeah, this is basically as good as apartheid. I guess that's. (laughs) Uh, Just a second. I couldn't hear you. Stephen Biko's Biko was playing by Peter Gabriel. Yeah, just don't watch it, is my advice. Dan? How did you feel about this? Watching it across the room on your bed, like I, I still follow the plot. Ultimately, I just so I've been saying throughout this entire episode that like I've been very tired and sleep deprived, and that's maybe to the benefit of the conversation here because I think also I had to edit it out, but you kept saying you were a shalubaholic. So <laughs> I mean, ever since I saw Men in Black, <laughs> I saw his little head pop. Uh, he plays ethnic taxi driver what are the so symptoms? well. I mean, he's what are the symptoms of a shalubaholism? <laughs> oh my god. Uh, uh, let me see. Monk seasons one through six on DVD. That's how we got my grandfather committed. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. We always seem to say the worst things just as you're trying to speak and not be mired for life by something you say on this podcast. Now that I've this is the I've decided to live with this. I think if I was in a much more alert state right now, I would probably be a lot more vitriolic about this whole thing because like I've watched a lot of mediocre movies in my time. I've watched a lot of bad movies in my time. And like, there were like really bad movies that I own because I think there's something fascinating to learn from them. Like, I have the Blu ray of Manos, The Hands of Fate. And like, if I don't like something, I don't dwell on it too much. I'll like postulate some idea or feeling in my head and I move on. This is like one of the few things of works in media I've consumed that I have like some. Met small measure of animosity toward, <laughs> like, mm. like very. Few, I'm not someone who holds a grudge. I'm not someone who like gets hung up on this stuff. <laughs> like, apart from like the atrocious way, like subjects of like gender and sex and trans issues are handled in this. Like, it's just so badly done on every level, from how people are characterized to how scenes are set up for like the bad, redundant framing devices in this movie. Like. I think the last time, like the only other movie that makes me feel as like kind of like gross and disgusted by it is actually Oliver Stone's JFK. 
that subject <laughs> for like another day. Uh, but it's just like, I can't even recommend this as entertainment. It's just really Back bad. to the left. Back into the left. <laughs> Back. I, I wish that like a stray bullet could have taken me in the head as I was watching this movie. It's just, I don't recommend it. Like, the sign says it couldn't, though. It would have taken a while to get it out of the boot and then into the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we had the logic at here which for point that I one. We just clobbered Walter Hill into unconsciousness. <laughs> but it's but, like, even if, like, you aren't, even if you aren't versed in film criticism, you will notice something off with this movie. I agree. And that it doesn't, like, communicate basic ideas or information. Well, like, like the first draft of this was presumably written in 1978. And, and untouched I, until now. And I bet you anything yeah. that the person who wrote that draft was born in 1964 <laughs> because it reads like something a 14-year-old would have written. But here's the thing is, I know nobody asked for it, but I'm going to give my final critique yeah. of this. Which is that I think that's what makes this a perfect first bad film for people. No. And I'm going to... Here's the thing. Here's the thing is we stopped doing Steven Seagal because the movies were fun to laugh at, but the person we were laughing at turned, to be, turned out to be grotier and grotier and just like a big, terrible, sexual deviant uh, that it just it didn't make... It wasn't fun to laugh at him anymore because it just felt like we were giving more, more of a platform for him to stand on. With this, it's everybody going in with the best intentions, at least on some level, and it misfiring terribly on every single level. On a concept, it's terrible. It's rotten. It was probably rotten like seconds after it was conceived of. Like, oh, what if this person was forcibly gender reassigned? <laughs> Stop trying to make forcibly re gender reassigned a thing. But um, more than that, like the way the film is framed, the way the film is shot, almost everything except for the cinematography which is above par from what we've been watching lately True. <laughs> um, everything about it is just a bad movie and it's it's a great primer as to what to watch for in bad movies because with this thing it's so clear the terribleness that's going on and right. you can easily point it out it's like that doesn't make any sense why is this happening? Why are two people saying the same thing? Why does that need two different scenes? Like, it's easy to sort of get your bearings into what makes a terrible film as to opposed to what makes something a great film, like The Last Samurai. I mean, that's the amazing thing, and that's sort of what I'm so excited for with this pivot in this, is that this is a film that is, I believe, Michael, you've said it a few times, abject failure on so many different levels that it's fascinating because the way that film is made, there are so many people who are just doing one little job within a film that has no bearing on how the quality of the final product will be, but is necessary for it to be done. Like there are sound people, there's caterers, there are people who are setting up blocking, there are people who are there just to make sure everything makes, obviously not in this film, but like internal logic, like from scene to scene, like all that happens in a film it's not a one person. It's not like an album. You can't say like, oh, this album about, you know, like you can't look at like a Marvin Gaye album the same way you can look at this. Like what's going on is about a very certain thing that one certain guy said about a very certain thing. Because there's no catering. Uh, because there's no <laughs> catering. He didn't. Well, I mean, let's not get into that. But with this, it's a bunch of people all coming together, all doing their jobs up to a competent level. And this is the result. And it's beautiful because it was so flawed from the beginning at every stage along <laughs> that line. They were just what a lot of people call polishing a turd. Yeah. And that's all this is. And it's wonderful because there's no other medium that allows this to happen. 
it's like it's almost like the opposite of like you know a million monkeys typing out uh like <laughs> typing out random stuff on the sh- uh, typewriters and generating shakespeare uh-huh shakespeare it's like the opposite of that it's just like at some point someone had to step in and say okay we can make this better but it's like every person unequivocally failed at their job yeah but not even failed at their job the way that normal people failed at their job. <laughs> failed at their jobs as an artist, but not as like an employed uh, PA, production assistant. Not as their job as someone who had to do sound or lighting for that day. All those people cleared what they had to do for that day. They just failed at making a movie. And that is amazing. <laughs> that is a marvel of our time that only we can appreciate. Just like, I, I forget who said, but like, most people don't give it their all. Every day, like now, like if you work like a job that you aren't super passionate about, I think it was Poe. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Christ. No, it's like the Raven. Like unless you're like super passionate about a job, most days you probably bring it like 80 percent. And like I imagine that's probably a case for a lot of people working on movies too. But the best takes of it go in. This feels like. Everybody's best take was like at a 60%. (laughs) And it's more beautiful for it. It's a beautiful primer for what not to do in a movie. This movie's a shrug. (laughs) A shrug shrug and a sigh. It's an aggressive shrug at trans people. And we apologize for that part of it. (laughs) But the rest of it, my God. All right, what are we doing next? Cobra. Yes. Cobra. Can we give a little background on Cobra? Sure. So at... uh, Cobra is uh, this kind of like a schlocky uh, 80s action film starring Sylvester Stallone uh, in in the wake of his... This sounds like a ridiculous term to attribute to Sylvester Stallone, but I mean like unprecedented success with rock. But I mean like it's certainly the first time that like uh, an action uh, meathead directed a film, you know? Do you mind like a lot of people forget this? Sylvester Stallone, like, like he wrote, wrote it too, Rocky. right? Yeah, like a, a best picture winning movie. Yeah. Mama, mama, my dick. 